Okay, good morning. This morning we're going to continue with part four of Hope of Immortality. And uh, maybe one more after this one. But anyway, uh, from the pen of Walter Scott, some of you are familiar with, we'll be bringing forth from him and others that you're not familiar with some of their penmanship and their thoughts. Uh, so much good teaching that uh, does not need to die with these guys. But anyway, uh, continuing on with our hope of immortality, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will begin in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. This is weighing the world in scales and the, the affairs of mankind in a balance. The affairs of men in Adam, as opposed to those in Christ, are weighed in the balance. Inasmuch as Christ is superior to Adam, so life is shown to be superior to death. So we see in this context that justice is laid in the balance, and God's ways are equal. In our next context of Scripture... We'll follow the apostles' doctrine and we'll see the resurrection or the immortality of the body is defended on another front as well as that of justice. And this is the principle of fact. It's a fact. Namely, that there are in the universe things spiritual as well as things material. There are, in the order of things, things that are corruptible and things that are incorruptible. In verse 35, someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? These are the two questions that are asked, and the Apostle Paul is going to answer. He says in verse 36, You fool. He's saying, Does not nature teach you? In verse 37, he's saying, And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wishes and to each of the seeds a body of its own. The question of first concern has to do with the identity of the bodies when raised from the dead compared to that which was buried. Are they the same? Verse 37 again, he says, You do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. 
You sow a grain, say a kernel of corn. You want to sow one kernel of corn in the ground. And what do you get in return? Another single kernel of corn? Suppose a farmer sowed a thousand kernels of corn in the ground. Uh, where's his increase? When the harvest comes in, would it be a shouting of joy? We planted a thousand kernels of corn, and we got back a thousand kernels of corn. Not too much joy in that harvest household. Where's the increase? But what do the scriptures say? And nature stands in agreement, verse 38. But God gives it a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. In that body are many husks, and each husk many kernels of corn, like the one kernel that was planted. So, what has this got to do with us and our resurrection? Everything. Remember, Paul is answering two questions in verse 35. How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? <coughs> so, to answer these two questions... Let's go back to nature and see what we can learn. After a few days of planting the seed into the ground, what do we find? If we go digging around where we planted that kernel of corn, what do we find? Nothing. It has become perishable. But soon after... A new body rises up out of the ground, much more glorious in every way than that which was buried in the ground. How does that happen? Much of it is a mystery. But the process is seen throughout all of nature. It's an established fact. Thus the resurrection from the dead is established upon the justice of God in all his ways and as a fact established in nature that bears witness to all the world, all over the world. Paul continues after establishing the fact of the resurrection to answer the second question as to what kind of body do they come. And so let's pick up. Still in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. 
It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So let's pause here for a minute and, and take in what has been said in verse 45 before we come back to the rest of the contents. Verse 45 says, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. You may stay here if you, because we're coming right back, but I'll read to you Genesis 2, 7, that says, Then the Lord God formed men of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Thus the breath of life God put into Adam to, to become a living soul, and it has continued from, to each one of us from seed to seed. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45 says that, But Christ, having become the second Adam, in that he himself is a life-giving spirit. So Paul describes what we're looking at, verses 46 through 49. Let's read that. However, the spiritual, this is what we get from Christ, is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, let's notice then verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now we get insight as to why Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that one must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus says you must be born again to enter into the kingdom allow me and i will be coming back here if you want to just wait to go again to genesis chapter 1 and i will read to you verse 11 and 12 which says then god said let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them and it was so the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. Here we learn that every seed brings forth of its own kind. And here we find the answer to the lifelong question that everybody sought to know is which came first, the chicken or the egg? Now, if you still don't know the answer to that, don't raise your hand. But I regress. But the answer to that we just read in Genesis 1. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 
First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Peter says to the Christians, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. So now we learn from Paul over in 1 Corinthians 15 that the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Thus, Peter's telling us that we were born again of an imperishable seed. That becomes critical. Titus 3.5 says that by the washing of regeneration or rebirth, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, that that also is involved in this new uncorruptible seed. So, what has all this got to do with the resurrection? Again, everything. Getting back to the analogy of the kernel of corn, what we sow is what we reap. So follow along with me. In a much more glorious body, an increase. And all will bear witness that the identity of what was buried in the ground is the same that was raised. If you follow the analogy of we buried corn and it was corn that we got. So what has been buried is very important to what you're going to get. In Revelation 22 and uh, verse 11, Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. The time will come that you will remain as you are. When you die, that's what will be sown into the ground is what you are, either holy or righteous. And as a result, that is what will be raised. Just like with the corn. In John chapter 5, in verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Paul adds to this witness his own. If you go to Acts 24. In verses 15 and 16. Acts 24, 15. Having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before God 
and before men. There will be a resurrection of two sorts, the righteous and the wicked. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> And uh, we'll finish Paul's description of the resurrection, starting in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, because some will still be alive when this event happens. <clears throat> but we will all be changed, speaking to the Christians. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. As we continue... What Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, is the basis for the following conclusions. So keep this in mind as we speak about identity. If I had an item in each of my hands, and you've never seen or heard of either one of these before, and then I showed you each one of them, one at a time. Then you would be surprised to learn that they were the same entity. What I'm talking about, of course, is a moth and a butterfly. Identity, therefore must be allowed to rest on something besides elements combined as an organization that gives form or shape, a body. Identity is more than just the form or the shape. Identity of a person has to do with ego, as in metaphysics. A conscious thinking subject through all eternity. Another way of understanding identity is that principle of life inside the seed, which passes over from one stage of existence to another, unchanged. The body might be changed as in the moth and the butterfly, but the principle of life inside of there is not. It's the same thing. It's the same one in both. Only the body is changed. Having been clothed with a different body, again, 
we see why a new birth is a must before you die. Because that determines what creature is going to be raised up. Let's look at John 12, 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When passing from one stage of life to another, the principle of life is in the seed. And it must necessarily put off and lay aside, never to be resumed, the body with which it had been invested. It's going to lay that aside. Those particles of matter with which this mysterious principle of life has been incorporated that compose the human body all being left in the grave. Even so, the arrangement of an all-wise providence stands ready to become the covering and the defense of the new corn in the new life into which it has risen. So I said you've got to keep in mind Paul's parallels he's making in 1 Corinthians 15 about the grain that was sown to understand what he's talking about, the principle of life in our new body. The body which enwraps the principle of life in the seed is left in the earth, while God gives it a new one as it pleases him, every seed its own body. So we'll close today with this. If you turn to Job chapter 19. Job 19, 25 through 27. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, I like how the King James puts it, even after worms have eaten my skin, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me, the thought of seeing God. We've seen how others in visions have reacted as they fall down on their faces of seeing God. I like how the amplified version, knowing it's not inspired, but nevertheless, I think he got, the, I think he got it right based upon what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. It says that after my mortal skin is destroyed from my immortal flesh, I shall see God. I think that's right. 
I think that's what he's talking about because the skin's destroyed. He's making it clear that's not the flesh in which he will see God. But it's this immortal flesh, this new body, which has been raised up in which he will see God. So as it's been said by Steve, I've heard him say many times, that we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings inside of these bodies having a physical experience. But this body will be laid aside and then this principle of life inside, which is eternal, determined by whether or not was born again and is the seed of Christ that will rise up and take on this immortality or whether it is still the wickedness that a man died in not having been born again and be raised up again in his own corruption. God willing, we'll continue this and try to wrap this subject up in one final lesson at another time. Thank you. Let's uh, stand and we'll be dismissed.